Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. You're listening to your host, Will Davis Coleman, and as ever, I am joined by my co-host, Patrick Courtney. How are you doing? All good, all good, mate. Um, this is our third, oh no, not third, this is our third city and one, two, three, four, five, fifth, fifth episode fifth, fifth. Yeah, of, this, <laughs> of this series. It's quite hard to do math, especially when you're a math tutor, apparently. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we're really enjoying doing this like slightly different concept where we're not just focusing on one assassination a week. Instead, we are spending two weeks going through cities um, that we've chosen and showing people little stories which you won't have heard about, even if you're from them. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're really enjoying the concept. I hope you guys are also enjoying it. Yeah, um, we do this. We do all the recordings beforehand, so we don't really know if you guys are enjoying it. Um, but if you are, great. And if you're not, there's more oncoming. So hopefully, it will just be on a more interesting city. Yeah. If you like, you just want to sit back and wait for this all to blow over. That's fine too. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Maybe we highlight the ones that are more like uh, bloody and murderous. If you're more maybe. into the assassination tales, so. Well, you won't be disappointed with today's one if that's if that's your bag. Um, so this week, we well for the next two weeks, we'll be focusing on London, which of course, as you if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know that we're both, if not from London, like myself, literally like just outside London, Patrick. Stone throws away Winchester. Yeah. If anyone does know, but yeah, yeah, stone throw away. Although I'm currently in Manchester, which is you know a bigger stone throw away. I don't know how that <laughs> phrase works, but still further away but yeah I've, i mean anyone i mean most of people here uh on this one of our listeners will have been to london i think because most of them are from the uk so and it's, it's one of the most famous cities in the world as well to be fair yeah and that's yeah, not yeah, bragging yeah. as a londoner it's <laughs> yeah this is going to be really <laughs> annoying isn't it because you're just going to be bragging about your city aren't you <laughs> no no i never claimed it to be my city sure you sure you've got it yeah. you just had a fox tattooed on your arm so i don't know <laughs> what's that gonna do but oh actually i suppose that but londoners hate foxes so that's yeah. actually not true yeah but it like it represents work. them i think the rest of the country thinks of them as foxes <laughs> really okay fair enough um but anyway yeah so uh this week we'll be focusing on london our first episode on london and i will be taking us through uh a viking london story so Ooh, uh yeah cool. i'm looking forward to getting into it let's get started so to start us off today i'm going to uh give us a little bit of a timeline and sort of intro into the city of london um that wasn't just because i'm from here it just so happened that the uh the die <laughs> fell that way when we were going through the order of episodes um, yeah we try, we try and do it in chronological order and you just picked a, an earlier one than i did so that's you were chosen yeah to do the intro. Exactly. Oh, wait, no, that's not why we did it. Because it's just in alternating... The intros is in alternating order. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, we didn't think that far ahead. Let's put it yeah, that way. Yeah. <laughs> when we came to this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, London, if you're from here, congratulations. If you're not, come visit. Uh, All right, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost 2,000 years old at the time of recording. It's actually literally 1,974 years old. So that's how long it's been. When you say... When you say at the time of recording, are you saying we're assuming in 400 years someone's listened to this podcast and they go, oh, right, of course, it's not. It's a different time period. <laughs> no, I was thinking if they listen next year, Patrick, which they might well. Yeah, I know. But... When, our, when our recording schedule is going to finish, so it might well go into Oh, yeah, year. good point. I know, but it just sounds a bit odd. You know, at time of recording, it's 2,000 years old. It'd be like saying <laughs> yeah. at, the, at the time of recording, the earth is 14 billion years old or something. <laughs> 
That's true. It's true. Um, so yeah, um, London itself uh, was founded really by the Romans, uh, who needed a really imp- they needed a br- bridge crossing to, or at least a natural ford to cross the River Thames because it was a massive obstacle in the ancient world. Um, especially when you think mm-hmm. about like London today has. Uh, flood barriers but back in the times of the romans all of the so much of london would have been underwater uh, because there was no natural flood barriers so actually it would have been a very watery wetland rather than what it is today so yeah flood barriers so that means not all the time it would be underwater it's just a, a kind of like high flood season it would just flood the plains around it and then recede yeah 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 yeah. but like quite constantly like and also because of the tides being nocturnal so not internal lunar it, it it means that they would come in and out a lot so you'd i don't know i don't know it would have been wetter let's put it that way if london could we're not be wetter. Ge- we're not we're not geographers we're not really good at this can, it would have been can a you bit tell? More wet. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but anyway no uh, so the original um there was actually a little bit of uh, settlement there before the romans they found a bronze age bridge that crossed the thames near vauxhall dating from like 1500 bce uh, probably to a lost island in the middle of the Thames and where there might have been some sort of pagan temple. Uh, but ah, really, we don't know anything more than that. So really, it starts when the Romans turn up. And the Romans turn it into, it's not really a city, it's more like a trading slash military camp on the way to, it's not there for like a civilian population. It's there because it right. needs needs to support the army at the beginning. Um, but yeah, yeah over... Uh, over a very long period. I mean, they, they built it, I think, in 46, no, 43 CE. Um, and it grew and grew and grew all the way through, all the way through to uh, when the Roman Empire abandoned Britain in 411 CE. Um, but it was never really the capital of, of England because England wasn't England as we know it today. It was a bunch of chieftain tribal places. So it's not like you mm. could say, London was the heartland and everyone came down to it like they do maybe in later centuries. Um, yeah. It was just quite an, it was just a, a place by a river. That was it. And in fact, yeah. um, modern day Colchester uh, was the, was the equivalent of the capital of the province of Britain, um, the Roman, the Roman rule. So really the real first capital of England was uh, in Essex to all you Essex listeners out there. You can lay claim mm. to that. No way. Yeah. A London yeah. capital, so not a proper capital. It's not like Winchester <laughs> was the first capital of England, which is technically correct, oh, but, but yeah. Oh, there we go. Oh, getting on his high horse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, after the Romans left in 411 CE, things went really tits up. And we also don't know very much, and I hate to use it in air quotes, dark ages. But for the next 250 years, we have scant detail on what went on in London. Uh, but it still existed. People definitely still lived there. And then came the Saxons. The Saxons were from Germany originally. Saxony is where they get the name from. And uh, they came over in waves in the 7th and 8th centuries. And from then they settled. And yeah, then they turned into lots of different tribes. And for a while there was a, a, a stage of peace, really. Uh, and mm. that's where my part of the story will c- come in. Uh, but London is still not the capital in this time period. Uh, good old Winchester was the royal seat of power for indeed, Alfred the Great indeed. and his was, and his successors. Was London which which part which kingdom was London in? Was it in Wessex or was it in? No. So 
the the time period we're talking about, we have um, if you know your geography, there are how many? One, two, three, four. There's at least four major uh, kingdoms at this point. You've got Wessex, which is everything sort of uh, south of Oxford, all the way down to mm-hmm. near the Cornish border. So sort of Devon, Somerset, uh, Hampshire, Berkshire, Wiltshire. And then right down in Kent, you might have a little bit. Kent was like a subsidiary to Wessex. So that's the first one. Then um, the Midlands, uh, bordering Wales and going as far as sort of Nottingham, uh, was Mercia. And that was where London was part of Mercia, right on its southern border. Um, So sort of loosely controlled by the Mercians. Yeah. And then right over in the east, you had East Anglia. So East Anglia was a whole thing, and it still is called East Anglia sometimes. Um, and then way up in the north, you had Northumbria. And that was basically yes. everything north that Mercia couldn't control was controlled by Northumbria. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Mm. So it was part of the Mercian kingdom. But really, it was a sort of beast unto its own. Because a little bit like uh, when we were talking about Alexandria on, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we uh, I, I was saying how they had left the ancient city and made a sort of new city, which was easier to defend because the basically... That there were less people living there and it was hard to defend. And also, in this case, they believed that they moved out because they were superstitious of the Roman ghosts of people who oh, had left. Oh, weird. Yeah. I mean, I'd yeah, be pretty exactly. scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they'd be at this time because they're Christian at this time, aren't they? Uh, so this yeah. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, yeah. So they'd be worried about these weird pagan ghosts because all the Romans, because the Romans, while they were still there, I guess they would have brought Christianity. They no, no, been, no, yeah, no, 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 no. The Romans well, brought yeah. Christianity to, to Britain originally, but um, yeah. it's more that they were these giants who built in marble and incredible masonry, and no one that those skills hadn't survived in a lot of ways. Mm. So it was more like, how the hell did they build this? Let's go live in our thatched houses and think about it. You know? Yeah, yeah. They just any the the, the Viking the, the the that era Englishmen were just like can't be doing with bloody marble pillars and stuff. We'll just have our nice chill little homes of wood and thatch and stuff like that we can't it's too much it's just too much for us exactly um so our story uh the story this week will start in 1012 which is just if you know your history 1066 was the battle of hastings when the normans came in um and this is pre as i say london becoming the capital because the capital it became the capital when edward the confessor who, if you know your Hastings history, was one of the three kings who ruled England in 1066. Um, he built the original Westminster Abbey there, or began building it, in 1042. And that's when London became the royal seat. So it's right at the end of this time period where you've kind of got Winchester being sort of the chief city, and then London starting to come into its own. But it's still, you know, mm. there's still a few uh, bumps in the road on the way to that. <laughs> Um, yeah. So yeah, that that's London in a nutshell. Um, come visit us if you can afford it, because it's fucking expensive. <laughs> Are we turning into like a tourist board for these cities now? <laughs> <laughs> we do, we're, we're not sponsored by anyone. Just so you know, if you're listening. no, 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 no one's. I don't think my, many of our our tales have been particularly like um, positive about the cities. To be honest, we're always talking about when there's destruction and death and. All sorts of awful stuff. So I don't think anyone would pay us to advertise these cities. No, no. Anyway, let's start with the walkthrough and we'll go from there. (laughs) 
So, to take us around London in 1012, approximately, not approximately, precisely on the 19th of April, 1012, which okay. uh, was a Sunday, is a man named Björn Borsen, and he is from Denmark, somewhere uh, near Jotaland, apparently. Big shop um, there, he's called Björn, what did you say, Björn Björnsen? Borsen. Borsen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big yeah. surprise. I'm not, I wasn't expecting that to be a Saxon name, to be honest. <laughs> Apparently, Bjorn means bear in, Scandin- in, in Norse or Dan- Danish. Um, so, yeah, anyway. Um, he's also known, though, as Thrum. And Thrum is, uh, the reason I'm telling you that is, uh, it'll come up later, but Thrum. So, Bjorn Borsen, a.k.a. Thrum. I think Bjorn okay. Borsen's a better name, but Thrum is what he would have gone by. He would prefer to be called Thrum. That was his, like, lad's name, you know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. He, yeah. It's not a nickname. It's more than that, as you'll find out. But anyway, okay, right, he, right. Uh, he has just come back from a raid on the city in Kent uh, called Canterbury. And he is returning to London. He's actually on his way back to Greenwich, where his actual ships are. But he's just decided to, just for our purposes, Hop on the longship, go upstream a bit, so I can actually do a little bit of a walk through through London. Yeah, but he will eventually, <laughs> he will eventually make it back to Greenwich by the end of the walk. Right, right. Um, but he's stopping off in London just to do a, walk, a, a useful walk through for us. Yeah, yeah, which makes no sense geographically. But again, as we've already stated, we aren't geographers. Um, wasn't because so, wasn't in in Viking era London was a bit of a like a, a bit of a mad town. It was like a bit uh, like ruckus and people liked going there to have a drink and get in fights and stuff like that. So so he nothing's wanted changed. A, wanted a break. Yeah, yeah. So nothing's <laughs> changed. <laughs> so yeah, he wanted um, he wanted a night out in London, and you know who could excuse him? Exactly. So he hops off his longship um, in, into the port of London, which actually. Whilst you might be thinking, uh, those of you who know London, you might be thinking maybe Vauxhall or maybe a bit further up downriver, maybe Embankment or the Millennium Bridge, somewhere like that. Instead, he's actually landed somewhere near Covent Garden, which is obviously the tourist part, a very touristy part of London these days, uh, which is further upriver than you might expect because, you know, as I say, you'd think of Westminster or the Old City as the place where you'd land. Now, this was actually where the Anglo-Saxons had built London Witch, which is now just been completely subsumed and become part of London, but it was actually a separate town from London proper. And the reason for that was, as I mentioned earlier in the intro, they were a bit stuck with the ancient city. They didn't know it was too expensive to keep it for the upkeep. And so they were just trying to sort of survive and they were a much smaller population. So they actually um, had made like wattle and daub, think sort of wattle and daub with thatch roofs with a wooden palisade and like a wooden, you know, pontoon. We're talking like mm, mm. major medieval vibes here. Not at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. City. Really simple, easy, you know, would yeah. light up in a fire easily. The, uh, um, the, from this time period, uh, there's only one source. Uh, who actually ever spoke about London or any other part of England for that matter. And this was a man called the Venerable Bede. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, Patrick. Bede? No, the Venerable Bede. Yeah, he was a monk. I think he was a Dominican monk. Could have got that wrong, but he's definitely a monk. And he he is credited with being England's oldest chronicler. So this is actually even before the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which is 
obviously an Anglo-Saxon <laughs> uh, sort yeah. of like timeline. Um, and he wow. describes London Witch. So to take it from him, it was a trading centre for many nations who visit it by land and sea. So, I mean, keeping it short and sweet doesn't really go into much detail, but that's what he... So that, that's all he says. He's yep. one of the biggest cities. In the, he's not a very good chronicler or, or historian, is he? Well, he's just like... This is London yeah, Witch. it's a big this port. Yeah, it's I not guess, London, then, like, Londinium London. This is London Witch. Right. This is, like, it's, it's, a it's, shithole, it, it's, really. It's the kind of, like, uh, shadow city that no one really cares that much about. There's much bigger, yeah. you know, formal... Uh, elegant cities in England that people would care more about ways like yeah it's just a bit of a port and a trading place it's nice I don't mind it exactly yeah although he does say lots of people come visit it so it's clearly a, a trading hub which is still a very important yeah. thing if you want to grow to maybe be in like, the top maybe like three stars on TripAdvisor or something yeah exactly I don't know what you give back then maybe not three stars three crosses it'd be, it'd be two <laughs> crosses or something like that yeah so as Bjorn ventured down the port side, he would have been surrounded by traders and fishermen, mainly. Uh, it got its name, London Wick, comes from uh, the Latin word vicus, which means trading centre. So it's just London trading centre. Um, and as he's walking, <laughs> yeah, I, as I say, this isn't a time for major poet, poetry and sort of literal yeah, nuance. Coming up this with, is, uh... They're not coming up with clever <laughs> names. I mean, the last city was just, uh, you know, Alexander the Great founded it, so he called it Alexandria. Like, city names never usually have that much nuance or, like, poetic license to them, really, do they? No, they don't. <laughs> um, as he walks into the town, he would probably want to uh, thank all sorts of gods and, and, and uh, for his safe passage across and a, a successful raid down in Canterbury. So, by making, like, an offering... But this is mm. quite interesting. So he would have been confronted not just with sort of pagan temples that he would have been used to back in, say, Denmark. He would also have found lots of Christian churches and not just old Roman ones, but new sort of sort of Germanic sort of because the Saxons are from Germany that they, they've brought over like a Germanic Christianity. So it's not just the oh, Roman okay. Christianity. Um, and yeah. so he could have gone. He had what's interesting also is there doesn't seem to have been much persecution of Christians in this time period in London. So, you know, everyone's free to worship, or rather, no one really gives a shit. So there's lots of other, like, death and horrible things going on, but you might not have been killed because you were Christian. Um, it's an interesting thing, the kind of dynamic between Christianity and Vikings, isn't it? Because, like, the formal religion of the country would be Christianity, but because of the dominance of the Vikings, no one could really say... Like, they, they were never going to really persecute the Vikings for their... Um, religious beliefs, because if they were persecuting them for anything, it would be all the raiding and the killing and the stuff as, and the stealing. <laughs> so, you know, and the, the, the religious aspect of it is kind of a bit irrelevant, to be honest. They're, yeah, they're, well, they're unwelcome you say guests that. anyway. But I, I am intrigued by this Thrum slash Bjorn Borson because when he goes to make his offering, he makes an offering to the Norse gods, such as Odin mm -hmm. and Thor, for a bit for strength and not not necessarily dying in his raid, um, but he also goes into a Christian church and prays because oh. Bjorn uh, Borson, a.k.a. Thrum, has been baptised and he is a Christian Viking. And he has two religions that he, like, he, he will worship. He's kind of, I was going to say, yeah. is it I was going to say polytheistic, but that's like a religion with multiple gods, whereas this is someone who is part of two religions, which yeah, I've never heard of. Two names. That's not something that happens. Because 
his baptism name is Thrum. So this oh. is the thing. He is not. He his name. His birth name was Bjorn Borson, so son of Bor. But he was also baptized over here. So he's 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 gone to a church or a river and been dunked basically, and he yeah. is now yeah. Thrum uh, as well. Weird. So it depends who he's talking to. I imagine when he's talking to his chieftain, he's probably Bjorn. But yeah. to, for all intents and purposes, around his neck, you're just as likely to find a Christian wooden cross as you are to find a Thor's hammer. So he might it's, have been wearing both. It's very I like, um, I mean, we're both big fans of uh, The Last Kingdom books and TV shows, but it, what's he got? Uhtred Ragnarsson or Uhtred... Uh, Son of Utred, yeah. essentially, or Utred yeah. of Bevan, but you know he's got two. He's got the he's got his English Christian name and his uh, his Viking name. But this is exactly. so interesting that he's he. It's so weird to the idea of worshiping two different religions because I think almost every religion on the planet has always said a big part of it is you do not have any other gods other than me. I mean that's a big part <laughs> of Christianity. I assume it, it's a big part of the Viking uh, Norse mythology and and pantheon of gods. But he was well, just no, like no, no, it, it is. no, no, no. I think that the Norse wouldn't give a fuck about um, them having a Christian on board in terms of like so long as they he was also worshipping the Norse gods because they are a polytheistic religion it's more the issue the other way where the Christians are monotheistic but the problem is you you don't get not allowed any other god other than the the big guy who's who's enforcing who's going to enforce a big hairy viking you know what I mean? Yeah. Which tiny little priest with a tonsured head is going to come up and say, oh, you can't be in the Norse one as well as that. You know, like, it's just it's not so happening. It's so interesting. I mean, throughout so much of like English and British history, you kind of think of, uh, you know, the, the Christian church as being this power over people. But this is a guy who was Christian, but the priests had no power over him, even though he was a Christian, because clearly they would have told him off quite heavily for worshipping these other gods. But he was yeah. like, nah, I'll just, I'll. I'll. So I wonder if he kind of thought it is. I've added this god to the pantheon of gods I'm worshiping to, like, uh, like he, like, like the Christian god is alongside Thor and Odin, not necessarily above or below, but just another no. god I'm worshiping to. He's so just he's kind of just like he's collected, which is I think quite a common thing actually. There's lots. I think Roman and Greek and Egyptian kind of swap and interchange certain gods from each of their pantheons, and although Christianity is not about that. Other religions might have brought. That's so weird. I love that. I know. I know. I think it's kind of cool. Um, the, the, just quickly on that though, um, one of the um, the Anglo-Saxons' weapons, if you like, the Christian Anglo-Saxons' weapons against the Viking invaders, was baptizing them because it would basically prick their conscience. So uh, there was a, a king of East Anglia called uh, I can't remember his original name, but he was then baptized Guthrum. And Guthrum mm. then just basically goes in farms and is just happy and he doesn't actually attack them. So it worked really well. Um, so it could have been that he was in a wave of that. But this is later. So when you're thinking, if you've watched The Last Kingdom or if you've watched Vikings on Amazon Prime, then that's talking about uh, a time about 100 years before this story happens. So this is sort of the 900s. Whereas now, this is 1012. This is like much more recent. And England is in a state of absolute shock there's there's so, there's new viking raiders and there's a there's a disunified kingdom again so it's all quite an interesting time to to be looking into it anyway just to go back to thrum as i'll now call him um he uh leaves london witch and go gets on uh the old ancient roman uh road back into the real city of london now, as, as, we, as I mentioned at the beginning, the Romans were there for about 400 years, and they had built quite a formidable city with 
quite thick walls, which you can still see today. Um, and uh, also all sorts of things like a Roman amphitheater, and there was uh, the Jupiter Temple, the Temple of Jupiter, which is their top god, a bit like Zeus, if you're more into your Greek uh, mythology. Um, and so he would have left London Witch on sort of either boards or just mud and walked onto cobbled streets, even uh, the, even though this is 600 years after the, uh, the loss of the Roman Empire from Britain they were still would have had the same cobbled streets. It's quite annoying. Who digs up bits of cobble? You know, just leave it there. It's quite useful. Yeah. You know. So the Roman um, roads were still hanging around. Yeah. And there were people living within the Roman walls, just not very many. And as he was passing, as he's passing through the gates, the old gates of London, he would have seen new palisades going in where the ancient Roman walls have massive dents in them, like holes in them, because they are preparing to defend London again because they've started putting money back into London, which they'd left for so many years. London so proper, quite, not just London Witch. London proper, they not are. London Witch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but some of these buildings would have been at least, an, uh, at, stood at sort of three stories high, which is way bigger than anything in London Witch. So, you know, it would have been quite daunting, even for a, uh, a, uh, a murderous... Viking, like like Björn, <laughs> uh, sorry, like Thrun. Yeah. Um, now, uh, within those walls, they would have also been watchtowers. So he might have well have seen some uh, Saxon, Saxon um, archers in these towers, but they would have left him alone because there's actually meant to be a peace at the moment. There's an amnesty going on, so it's all a little bit Wild West-like. But uh, so it was actually thanks to Alfred that they started to realise the importance of London again. So uh, you can have that one, Mr. Winchester. Good old Alfred. What a lad. Yeah. So then Thrum uh, would be walking through and he'd pass the old amphitheatre, which actually uh, was turned into a slave market for a long time, which is a nice thing, and also for cockfighting. fighting. So it was not a good place to be at all. Um, and it would have been, because so an amphitheatre is for theatre, that's not a gladiatorial pit. No, so no, no, it is a gladiatorial some... pit. No, no, no. Oh, it would have been. Oh, okay. Wow, yeah, 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 but it yeah. stepped down. You know, bold gladiators to a bunch of chickens and then a slave market, <laughs> which is also, I mean, a slave market is also quite Roman, but the, the, the cockfighting is, is also pretty lame in comparison to the kind of epic gladiator fights you could imagine the Romans held. Exactly, yeah. So um, the reason why he's coming to Roman London is that for some reason uh, his favourite blacksmith has set up shop down near, can you tell how I'm trying to get it back down to the river, uh, down near to <laughs> the ancient Roman bridge, the London Bridge. Um, and he's going there because he's picking up his favourite axe, which uh, he'd left, you know, he dropped it off on the way, he'd gone and got some groceries from London Witch, he's now on his way yeah, back, sure. picking up his newly sharpened, newly honed axe, which he puts on his belt, and he's picked up by his longship, a bit like in Assassin's Creed where you can just call it. And uh, he hops on and he goes down <laughs> the river. an Uber. Exactly. He goes down the river to Greenwich, which uh, at this point actually isn't in London, uh, but it is obviously in London today. And at Greenwich, right. as the sun is setting, he sees a huge bonfire uh, being raised. And you can hear raised voices and uh, joyous shouts because there's a huge feast going on because of the, the most recent victory and raid in, uh, at one of the hearts of of, uh, of the Wessex kingdom, the English kingdom at this point really, uh, mm. Canterbury. 
uh, which he must have had mixed feelings about because he was a Christian Viking, but he had been involved in a raid on Canterbury. So I don't know how he fits in with that. Maybe he has a personal I mean, relationship with God rather than a <laughs> God's name. But, you know, there's no, you know, like English Christians will raid and attack other uh, Christian English towns if they're enemy towns. You know, he might just think, although I'm Christian, those are still enemies. Like, Christians yeah. have no problem killing each other, so I think he's probably like, yeah. And it's not like the Vikings don't make war with each other because they all worship the same gods. That's very so true. I think, That's very I think true. he probably was like, you know, they're not they're not London witch Christians. But so I think, come. actually, he, he's probably, it's probably pricked his conscience a little bit. As he's walking mm. up towards this, uh, this brawl that's going on at this point it, the feast has been going on all day and he you know he, ha he he's a busy guy he had to go into london he had things to do but everyone else is, his axe. you know they're just exactly everyone else is a bit less uh, a bit less interested in all that and they're just getting smashed basically and he comes <laughs> across yeah. so, so he he's quite an important viking he's got quite a few arm rings and he's walking through uh, all the sort of all these drunk viking comrades of his and he gets to the middle of the of the sort of uh, the funeral and he sees a man tied to a post and he is watching as he watches at, at first he laughs along with everyone until he realizes that this man is is, is actually going to die by a very traditional viking way of death which is by throwing basically ox bones or whatever they had just eaten at him, basically pelted him to death in front of him. And wow. he notices that this man is dressed with a holy cross around his neck. And he is a clearly quite an old, not too old, but clearly quite a grand uh, man. But he is dying, mm. he's being like pelted and it's, it's not going well. And you can hear him mumbling the paternoster to himself. And uh, it's getting worse and worse, and he knows he's seen this sort of death before, and it's more, it's like a bit like the uh, Chinese death of a thousand cuts, which I'm not saying he would have known, but it's like a yeah, it's yeah. a horrible way it's to go. It's a slow stoning, like stones. You know, one hefty stone will hit you, and it could kill you instantly, or at least a few will kill you. But this sounds like it would be a lot slower. You will just slowly bruise and cut over hours yeah. as you slowly exactly. weak. Oh, it's horrible, and for an older, frail man. Ugh. Yeah, I can't Ooh. remember if he's old or frail. He might be younger than that. So uh, oh. forget that part of it. Well, but he was everyone's, clearly everyone's venerable. frail back then. <laughs> yeah, well, this man has actually been in captivity for about six or seven months. So he would have been That's quite definitely skinny frail. and frail. Might not he be old. Looked... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but as he sees this man um, falter a little bit in his, in his prayers, because he knows that he's watching a man die, um, Bjorn, sorry, Thrun, as he would have held himself in this very moment, picks up his brand new shiny axe, which he's just been uh, he's picked up, and he goes up to him, and and with one fell sweep, he just smashes the guy's head in, and kills him. But he Fuck. sees it as an act of mercy, because otherwise he knew he was in for watching this man die for hours, and he so gave him a quick he death gave him a quick death exactly, and that is how our story begins because that Ooh. death was the death of an archbishop of canterbury so yeah i mean i felt like it had to be an archbishop you said it was a grand man wearing a cross <laughs> but wow yeah. that's pretty messed up i know so yes the man who has just uh been mercy killed by thrum uh was a actual saint as well as being archbishop of canterbury 
and his name was Ooh. Saint Alphage. Was he a saint? Uh, I assume a... he wasn't a saint before he died or before. Uh, no, he was. He was made a saint, so he was, I guess, martyred, as they would say, um, mm. because to become a saint you had to be a martyr most of the time. Uh, he was martyred on the nineteenth of April, ten twelve, when Thrums axe went through his temple, but uh, the uh, the Pope made him a saint. He canonized him in ten seventy eight. So you know, fairly quick for a, a canonization. It was what yeah. was that sixty years. Something like That's, that. Maybe that is 50, that so. is pretty quick. A lot of them are hundreds of years. Like it's way after when the story doesn't really like ring true anymore. So you can make up bits and it fits the yeah. uh, the miracle aspect of it. So that's pretty that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is good. Um, so yeah, so Saint Alphage um was born in nine fifty four. So he was actually fifty eight when he died. So for the time, he was a fairly old man. Um, mm. so no spring chicken. Uh, he was born in Weston on the outskirts of Bath. So he would have been a Wessex man born and bred. I mean, he would have been also identified as an Englishman, but uh, mm. it was still early days on that on that front, you know. You'd still um, have those divides, like, integral. You know, they would, Although it's a united kingdom, it is a, it, it, it's, it's a union of kingdoms as opposed to one singular kingdom, really. Yeah, well, it's kind of yeah, it's get it kind of goes up and down. That the centuries in between Alfred the Great and uh, Edward the Confessor slash, you know, William the Conqueror is a little bit of a it's an anarchy before the anarchy. So you get mm. you get sort of various kings who live for like four years and then they're dead, and then you have their brother and then their uncle. It's like a big, it's a hard it's a hard hard time to sort of cover because there's so much going on and also so little because there's no innovation going on there's just death and destruction and then a little bit of time where there isn't and then there's more death and destruction yeah um yeah. but at, at, at this point we're coming to the end of that period but 954 in western he's born and very soon he is actually committed to becoming a monk early on in his life and he was most likely a monk at glastonbury now glastonbury is well known in uh, church circles because uh the <laughs> not actual... just music circles yeah, before before actually, that's a very good point. I'm just going internally into my history history talk there. Yeah, yeah. So Glastonbury <laughs> is obviously known now as as a festival place, but Glastonbury was actually a very important religious centre even before Christianity. It was uh, it was built. Um, there was some sort of Roman settlement there. I seem to remember reading about, and there was a pagan temple there. I think there was a natural spring, which is why that happened. But anyway, every, it was yeah, then every civilization builds on top of the old one. Like they just go, that was a holy site before, so it will be our holy site for our new pantheon and gods and stuff exactly. like that. So it's all it's all just rinse and repeat. But what's interesting is within the lifetime of Saint Alfred, or maybe just before, um, another Archbishop of Canterbury, a guy called Dunstan, became uh, he was the guy who built Glastonbury Cathedral. So he, the original Glastonbury Cathedral, and he had a dream where I think an angel, I'm really, really going off on one here, but <laughs> I'm fairly sure an angel came to him and said, you've got to build this massive, he was a massive builder anyway, um, Dunstan, and he became the protege, he became sort of the opposite, he became the, um, what do you call it, like the the master, protege? if you like, to Alphage. Oh, yeah. Um, so it was Dunstan would, uh, was controlling Glastonbury Cathedral and he was building it and he was very interested in, in showing his sort of religiousness through building holy places. So Dunstan the Builder is what he's constantly he's known for. And he becomes Archbishop mm. of Canterbury. And as he becomes Archbishop of Canterbury, who does he bring along with him? 
Saint Al- so Alfage. So they both become saints, Saint Dunstan and Saint Saint Alfage. Um, so right, okay. It's, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. But both Alfage just like, yeah, and Alfage just like Dunstan took uh, to heart that idea of building great religious houses. So there's a real sort of uh, there's a sort of a theme going on here. It's like a father son narrative, but without the uh, familial connection. Um, So uh, very quickly, they realized that Alfage was a man, a very skillful and intelligent man. And quite quickly, he becomes the Bishop of Winchester, which is a very important role in um, pre-London being the capital England. Uh, Because as Mm. we said, Winchester is the capital at this point, the royal seat of power for the Wessex kings and then I suppose the English kings. Um, and so uh, he becomes the Bishop of Win- Winchester, and so he he he's already put himself in a place of power. So he's probably talking with lots of very um, high nobles and dignitaries, and also with the kings and queens of of the ancients, or not the ancients of of sort of early medieval uh, England. Now, he also is in a time. He's born into a very unlucky time period in in England, where you, the sort of the great days of Alfred the Great and his son Edward the Elder are long gone, and what's replaced them is a rise in Viking raids, which are now actually starting to prove effective. So whereas before the old, if you know anything about Viking history in England, what what where the Vikings went wrong was they couldn't take cities very well. So they, what would happen is Alfred has built a load of uh, towns which he could fortify, <laughs> chucked everyone in there with the harvest and said, oh, it's okay, we'll just hunker down here and wait till it all blows over kind of thing. Yeah, and that yeah. worked really well. Problem is now that for whatever reason, there's less centralized power, which means that the, uh, the defenses of the towns are much less solid and also they couldn't rely very heavily on the people within them, not just give it capitulating to the Vikings. There's no solidarity in the kingdom. So it's yeah. a hard place to rule. Lots of corruption, lots of sort of stabbing in the back and political intrigue. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's climbing a very slippery ladder, let's put it that way. But he's an ambitious man and he does become Archbishop of Canterbury after the death of Archbishop, Archbishop Dunstan, who was his, his man. Um, mm. And so he, uh, when once he becomes the Archbishop of Canterbury, he is even more. He's now very important, and he built many of the city of London and Canterbury's churches. Uh, so he was known as the builder, just like Dunstan, as I was saying. And uh, when he was when he was in this time period, he was involved at the very top end of politics. Because when you're at that sort of level, you wield a lot of power. Unlike today, I mean, I wouldn't ever think that the Archbishop of Canterbury today being particularly sort of special, no offence. Like, he's fine. I no. mean, obviously he crowns our royalty, not, but really that's about it, you know? He's not part of our democratic system. Like, he's part, He, you know, archbishops were integral to the, uh, like monarchies of our history but they're not yeah. integral to our i mean i know there are there are, there are some uh i guess bishops in our house of lords but that's about it like the church you were it's pretty separated now but back then yeah. archbishop was one of the most important i imagine probably like the second most in person maybe third most important man in the in the kingdom other than the king and maybe the heir like yeah they're, they're important people Absolutely. So, you know, you, you couldn't just rely on, like, uh, you know, as you say, he's an important guy. 
So in the 990s, he uh, had his real moment, his first real stint of political power and intrigue and everything. Because um, at the time, he managed to be uh, the king's envoy to the Viking leader who was in charge of all raids against England at the time, called Olaf Tryggvason. And Olaf uh, clearly was a, a, a very important and powerful Viking. And he respected Alfage. And Alfage, I think, must have been able to speak Danish. Or maybe Olaf could speak English. Whatever they were doing. Maybe they were talking in Latin. Who knows? The whole point mm. is that because of this, them talking, they managed to make a peace treaty but so that England would no longer be raided. But unfortunately, this did fuck all to stop further Viking attacks. So he kind yeah. of, it's a I bit mean, like clearly, that. Neville... The, way you, the way you started yeah. this story would indicate that it didn't last long. <laughs> no, exactly. And this was back when he was Bishop of Winchester. So this is still, he's not quite Archbishop of Canterbury yet. He's still like fairly, still quite young. And, you know, I think he's in his 40s at this point. So he, would, he, he was kind of acting like the king's ambassador in this uh, Viking warlords camp, essentially, like yeah, he's, he's yeah, he he's there to advise and to be like, because it's weird because it's weird to have like the ambassador of ostensibly your enemy in your camp so you can talk to them. But I guess it's during a time when they weren't, they were maybe going to war, and then his uh, his smoothing over his ability to speak Danish or their both ability to speak Latin or something. And he's, yeah. you know, he, you'd have to be, I mean, it's amazing to think of like, uh, you know, a, an old fuddy-duddy priest managing to deal with these warriors who've come across the seas. So he must have been a kind of striking, powerful, charismatic figure. Well, to, this is the thing, build this that there is that image, there's that image of sort of the fuddy-duddy bishop or whatever. But yeah. this isn't that time period because people don't live long enough to become fuddy or duddy for that matter. And also, <laughs> yeah. because he was a builder, he was a man who worked with his hands. He would have been a fairly hench archbishop, as was his his uh, his master before him, St. Dunstan. These guys are sort of Perfect heavy guy set to send on. then. Yeah, like he was a man of the world as well. So, you know, he, mm. he was quite happy to deal with this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, um, because of his sort of success in that time period... Um, in terms of trying to deal with this Olaf Tryggvason. Uh, in 1006, Alfage was consecrated as Archbishop of Canterbury. And the weird thing to, to note on that is that he took St. Swithin's head with him to Canterbury um, to on, on his consecration, which I always think is a bit oh, weird. He's carrying a just dead woman's so head. They're so weird. Yeah, the, the, all the... Um... What do they call them? The I they've got a name. The the, the these weird the relics. pieces, relics. That's what they are. The relics are so bizarre and so like old. They feel like old pagan things. You're just carrying around the disembodied hand or bits. finger or head. <laughs> it's just bits of an old guy, and it's so. I mean, I mean, I've never heard of a head. Normally, it's like a hand or a finger bone or something really oh, small. There's... But he's a I've big dude. He got, he got he got yeah. he got a, he got a head. That is impressive. Yeah, um, so there were lots of relig religious cults around saints back then, and Saint Swithin's—he was part of Saint Swithin's cult, and I think that was based around Glastonbury. So I think he he brought it with him, and he was like, "Yeah, oh, we're I bringing see. our mascot home," kind of thing. Um, but he also kind encouraged a, it's the cult. A, it's a weird thing because because it's funny to think about that in that actually Christianity at the time almost had a pantheon of saints. Yeah, because they're kind well, that's of how they like, did it. Yeah, they're kind yeah. of like a pantheon of gods that you worship. You you know, obviously you worship God and Jesus and like the big 
the Holy Trinity and all that sort of stuff. But then you have your own personal deity you worship and his was Saint Swithin. And it's just like in ancient Greece, if you had certain people, uh, you know, worshipping this god or that god, you know, some temples are built to Poseidon, some temples are built to to Apollo. And you kind of have that splitting of it. And you do have that in Christianity, but with the saints. It's really weird. Exactly. It is weird. It is weird. Um, But anyway, in 1006, he was probably on a high. So Alphage is now the most important Big man. Uh, religious man in the kingdom. Um, but all is not well in this kingdom because you suddenly have a a, a bit of a, a, a even more upheaval than before because uh, there's a couple of new Viking bands on the horizon. Now, I should just quickly mention the king at this time was a man called Ethelred, who is known to history as Ethelred the Unready. And it's actually meant to be. I thought it might be him. Yeah. <laughs> and he he has a, it's a play on words. Uh, it actually means more Ethelred the ill-advised, but people have always remembered him as Ethelred the unready. And he was not a popular king. This guy was thrown out at one point. He was he was dethroned uh, by his nobles, and then he comes back, and then he's he's in power again. Uh, but he you know he becomes king of England in 978 at the age of 10. And the new Viking raids on the country begin in the 980s. So literally, he's 12, and suddenly his whole kingdom is under attack by these pagan slash Christian axe-wielding hairy bastards. He can be forgiven for being unready at the age of 12. I mean, I don't think I could do anything (laughs) at the age of 12, so I think we should cut him a bit of slack if he's not... He can't fight off a Viking horde when he probably is still, like, shorter than most of the women around him. Like, it's still... Yeah, mm, that's not. The, good. He he had a um a, not a regent but a, a bit like a vizier. He had like a, a a noble lord who kind of did everything for him. But this noble lord who I can't remember the name of, but he was actually working for the Vikings, and he was just a, oh. a colossal dick. And also his oh, mother was also story. A, his mother was also very controlling and uh, of the kingdom and probably of his her son as well. But um the, mm. it ruined the kingdom. So Alfred's kingdom was torn to shreds by the mm. internal fighting by this king and his family and and then also very effective vikings so in so in september 1011 so 5 years after becoming archbishop of canterbury an army of piratical vikings uh, lay siege to canterbury itself so he was probably praying in the in the cathedral when suddenly he could hear the the screams in the streets and suddenly the walls are besieged by vikings and after wow. two weeks, just two weeks, according to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, they were treacherously let into the city. So as I say, there's, it's riven with corruption, you know, into the holiest city in the kingdom. And, you know, they just dropped their, someone, someone paid off someone and suddenly the gates were open. And in wow. I mean, the, the pagan hairy bastards. That really shows the kind of uh, the weakness of the realm at that time. You know, it's that there's no, they're not a united force at all. It's, it's easy for them to pay off someone and get into one yeah. of the most important cities in the country. And, oh, and that's, but that's there, there's also a potential that uh, this was done on purpose because Alphage might have had his enemies, almost certainly did have his enemies, and that they knew that Alphage was in Canterbury at the time. It could have been. It's wow. a bit of a. It's a bit up in the yeah, air. Yeah, could have happened, been a bit but... of an underhanded. People knew it was going to happen and could have acted to save them, but chose not to because they didn't exactly. really want to protect him. Uh, yeah. So that's the thing. So they ransacked the city. 
and kill and murder hundreds, if not thousands, of the citizens. And they take Alfred prisoner and demand a payment to go away. Can you imagine? You've just, uh, if you're like a, Canter- a Canterburyan uh, merchant and or an yeah. alderman, and you've just watched like your entire city burn, and they then go, sorry, hi, hi there, hi, hi. You need to pay us, <laughs> not from the stuff we've taken already, pay us, and then we'll leave, otherwise we are staying. Yeah. How and is that, so- like, that's such a weird blackmail position. It's like, it's not coming in and saying, oh, I'll trash things. Or otherwise, you you need to pay me money, or I'll trash your your shop up. You trash the shop first. You trash the city, <laughs> steal everything, and go right now. If you want us to leave, you're gonna to have to pay us out of the pocket of money that we've just stolen. That's a yeah. weird logic, but it, I know. But logic. then the, I guess that it'll just suck more um, money from outside the city, so they can do more damage. Really, if you think about it. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so but the money took time to raise, but it was eventually handed over to them, and they did duly leave with Alfage and a couple of other hostages. And so they get back, including Thrun. So Thrun's there somewhere. And so they get back on their longships with this archbishop and they, he's probably bound hand and foot Mm. and he's, and they sail around the coast and come up the, uh, the Thames estuary to their, where they've set up camp, which is in Greenwich, uh, which uh, was a little port of its own. So mm. that's where Alfage is then remains as a hostage. And as I said at the beginning in the walkthrough, he is held for seven months and is apparently tortured. That's what they say. God. Um, so, yeah, the, do the Viking. There's, there's, do you reckon there's a certain amount of these Vikings see him as this figure that has prevented Viking raids in the past? And they almost see him as, a, as an embodiment of this peace between the Vikings and and the Saxons, which they are abhorrent to, because obviously they want war, they want battle. And so they see him, he's obviously probably well known by from the Vikings' point of view, because he is this figure who's spoken to Viking warlords and created this great peace. So he's yeah. almost got a target on his back from their point of view, and they might, you know, they want to show off to their Viking, the other Viking uh, clans and war bands. They're like, yeah, we got this guy. You know that guy who did this whole thing few years back we got him he's ours now and we're just going to talk yeah. for days and drink and revel yeah and you're probably right also yeah. because this is a time of great corruption no offense to the venerable saint and archbishop he might have cut a deal with Oleg Trivison and said you know what if you don't raid I'll do some backhanders your way and maybe those payments stopped who knows ah, who see. knows yeah, yeah at this point um the the nations if you like or like the peoples of the vikings of denmark and norway and even like frisia frisland which is kind of where um the netherlands is is intrinsically linked to the british isles so whereas like the ones in the viking shows that that are on the so popular where it's like oh my mm. god what is that oh it's a viking ship oh my yeah, god yeah. we haven't seen this before proper invaders yeah yeah this is 200 years later so, you know, we're talking, these guys are well-known, which means you probably did have this intermingling. And so there would have been networks across both Britain and across the North Sea in in those countries. So maybe he was making yeah. some sort of deal which went wrong. But that is speculation. There's nothing in the records about that. I just like putting a bit mm. of colour in. Um, but yeah, so basically, cool to they... see this kind of weird politics between the 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 Englishmen and the and the Vikings, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, you're right. At that time, there'd be Vikings who've spent their entire life in England. Probably yeah, at that absolutely. Time. So you know, no, multiple generations, you know, yeah, 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 would have been there. Um, but the, anyway, so they now have this archbishop, and, and so that is a big money, money prize, really. 
Um, and so they start demanding an additional ransom to let him go. And mm. the amount that he, which they are asking for, is 3,000 gold marks, which is a huge sum of money for the time. Right. And they've yeah, probably yeah. just taken everything from Canterbury anyway. So where they thought they were going to get that money from, I guess, was the king. But of course, the king is, has his own problems with the fact there's a fucking massive Viking force. You know, he's probably got other things on his mind. And you need to spend that uh, money raising an army, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, I don't think they found Alfidge necessarily a threat. And I don't think he was bound. I think he was kept around the camp. I don't know. Mm. But one thing that, if you believe the hagiography and the few records that we have on him, he is reported to have told them, no, you will not ransom me. I won't let you ransom me. I won't go for any money. Now, remember, this is part of the hagiography, which is like um, how to become a saint, basically. Um, they write stories oh, about I you. See, yeah. So it's part of his, his saint story. So it doesn't really add up. I don't know if I believe this story. But um, so th this went on, as I say, for seven months. Um, so the poor guy is like being whittled down, you know, to, to very to very little. Um, and then um, I'm going to read from the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle to finish this tale up. Ooh, exciting. So, the raiding army became much stirred up against the bishop because he did not want to offer them any money and forbade that anything might be granted in return for him. Also, they were very drunk because there was wine brought <laughs> from the south. Then they seized the bishop, led him to their hustings on the Saturday in the octave of Easter and then pelted him there with bones and the heads of cattle and one of them struck him on the head with the butt of an axe, so that the blow and so that with the blow he sank down, and his holy blood fell on the earth and sent forth his holy soul to God's kingdom. Wow. So yeah. The and the thing is about the Anglo Saxon Chronicle is it's actually not a religious text. It's written by actually it is it is written by monks, but it's actually much more like a chronological one. It's nothing to do with sainthood. So uh, yeah, it, yeah, and at this point he wasn't a saint; he was just a bishop. So the fact oh, I see, that so there's, they're less interested in really picking up his story because, from their point of view, he's just another. There'd be hundreds of Christian. I mean, not hundreds of archbishops, but still lots of uh, priests who were dying to. Evict, it know, was to it was still noteworthy, kind of, but yeah, like the yeah. fact that the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle saying that he did not want to offer them any money makes it slightly more true. I feel than a hagiography. Definitely, hagiography is a load of bullshit. Yeah, but yeah. anyway. So he then dies and is obviously that's a bit of an issue because in the, the hangover those Vikings <laughs> would have had would have been also, fuck, we just lost our hostage, like our really important fucking hostage. So uh, mm. the body was taken to London, London proper. So this is in London, like the, the, the big one and buried yeah. in the Church of St. Paul's there. But by the Vikings, by the Vi well, it, history doesn't relate. I'm presuming by the Vikings, maybe by the Christian or Vikings, maybe Thrum. Maybe, maybe, took him. yeah, maybe kind of given over to kind of Viking leaning Christians or Christian leading Viking, you know, some middlemen to do it. But so they give it, but they give back the body, kind of. Yeah, they do. And, but what's interesting is that Canute who, of Denmark, who basically what happens in the wars is Ethelred the Unready doesn't, he's shit, basically. And yeah. his biggest adversary is a man called Canute of Denmark, who, actually takes the throne eventually from Ethelred the Unready in 1016. So he becomes king 
uh, one of our only Danish kings ever of the whole of the country. Wow. And Bloody in hell. 10, yeah, and in 1023, he moves the body of the archbishop, oh, Alfage, back to Canterbury and respectfully reinterred him on the north side of the high altar, not far from his, uh, his master, St. Dunstan, who was already there. Mm. And in the ceremony, uh, it was attended by uh, Canute's queen, Emma of Normandy, who was Ethelred the Unready's widow. So the old king, he married the old king's widow <laughs> and oh, wow. also many Jeez. bishops and earls. But he was actually a good king. He, he, uh, he is reputed to have set up the first English navy, although that is very sketchy. Um, and it was mm. all to do with reconciliation. By bringing the body of St. Alphage back to Canterbury, it reunited Englishmen and Dane. That's the idea. Um, but what's interesting is, just to go back to a closer look we did last series, uh, Thomas Beckett, when he was killed at the altar, the altar he was at oh, was yeah. the altar of St. Alphage. Uh, so where this weird. man was buried, another archbishop was slain. So that's quite interesting, wow. I think. God, um, yeah. Archbishops so, yeah. clearly do not have a good life expectancy. They're not they they really do well with Englishmen or Vikings, so... Yeah, uh, and so just to finish, so Alphage, uh, when he when he was martyred, um, they actually built a church there dedicated to him, reputedly on the site in Greenwich where he was killed. Now that original one's obviously gone, but the one that, hmm. that you can still go there today, it was rebuilt by a guy called Nicholas Hawksmoor in the 1700s, and um, there's also a couple of interesting people buried there alongside Saint Alphage. Oh no, sorry, mm. St. Alfred is in Canterbury. Um, yeah, yeah. Include uh, the Tudor, the Royal Tudor composer Thomas Tallis, and also General James Wolfe, who died at Quebec. He was quite a famous guy. But anyway, they're both buried in there as well. So yeah, you can go. It's an important and see church. It. It, very well, yeah, very important church, really. Um, so yeah, anyway, that is the Viking story of London. I hope wow, you enjoyed it. God, listener. yeah. It's. I mean, it's kind of. It's a bit of an assassination, I'd say, sort of. It's a mercy kill, I feel. It is a mercy kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, you know, it's a it's a kidnapping and then and then a and then a killing. Um yeah. but yeah, more informed stuff. That's so cool. It's so interesting that time of these I mean, actually that's kind of coming up quite often is that these meetings of both uh like racially different people and like, you know, geographically different people, but such different religions and how they interact. Um and yeah. how these two peoples come together. And England at that time and London at that time was just a mess of Saxons and Vikings. So it's yeah. really weird to see this kind of... Ch- and so interesting that actually they kind of feel bad about it at the end. And actually that works to knit the country together under Canute. It, which it is does, a weird yeah. thing to say. Yeah, I know. And it's funny that the way that it's taught, you never hear about much to do with this time period because... I think a lot of our history is taught from a patriotic or a nationalistic sense. And this time period, England is just at its lowest, I'd say, ever, literally Mm. before the Romans. I, you know, I can't think of a time where it's so riven with sort of hatred, mixture of like um, corruption and and just so many problems going on that it actually makes the Vikings almost look like the good guys, you know, which is weird when you think about it, when it's told from our side. I guess... I guess it makes sense then why this is the time period before the like the Normans come in and do so fantastically well. But when you think about it, you know, going from Alfred the Great to William the Conqueror 
is it feels uns it feels like you know the the England is coming together into this united force but it's this dip that happens before where everything yeah. becomes messed up again the vikings are in too much power um but they're not i mean it's amazing that they got that's like the that must be the strongest the vikings have ever been in england they I were is under canute they were yeah canute became, yeah. and king king canute was a good king as well to yeah. his english um subjects so you know uh, he, he you shouldn't see him as necessarily a bad Viking. He was a he was a decent no, politician. He, um, he seems like a yeah. I can imagine him being, but it, him being in power shows how fragmented and difficult the the realm of England was at this time. Having such a strong well, it didn't even really have a strong beginning. With you know, because no. Alfred, it, it's not even Alfred the Great that came but pulled it all together. It was so it's kind yeah. of yeah, and his, his grandson. Son, so. It's it's kind of it, England is still finding its footing, and it's not really until uh, old good old William the Conqueror coming in that that's when the whole of England kind of is a bit more united by bloody Frenchmen. Something, so. yeah. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, and the, and the thing about the Normans is they were they were like a couple of generations before that they were Vikings themselves. So you know, the Viking is a Viking success story, England, uh, yeah. at least up until yeah, the, yeah. the Hanoverians get involved. But Which yeah, anyway, the way um, it's taught it's it's taught as if it's the English success story. We're actually we're all kind of Vikings as much as we are. I mean, even if we're not Vikings, we'd be Germanic. Like it's hard to root back to actual Britons. <laughs> yeah, so. it's very true. Yeah, unless you're from Cornwall or maybe the west of Wales or Anglesey. Um, but yeah, anyway, listen. Mm. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Um, that was a really good fun to tell you, uh, Patrick. What is going to come up next week for your episode on London? So next week we are hurtling forward in uh, in time, which I think this is so far probably our biggest jump. I can't remember what the jump from uh, Roman Alexandria to uh, Islamic Alexandria. I think it might be. No, it that might, was bigger. it's on. I think uh, anyway, it's a long time. <laughs> it's eight hundred years, which, if you know your history, is we are going to Victorian era London, which is one of the most I don't know, like classic era oh, London. Yes. Like, I mean, if you've seen any or read any Charles Dickens, if you've watched any version of Oliver Twist, you know what's coming. It's a it's a lot of smoke. Uh, it's a lot of filth. It's a lot of trains. It's uh, um, chimney sweeps and pickpockets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's that sort of thing. But we will be looking at uh, a, well, this is this is a like who knew that London was going to be our bloodiest city? Because I am also looking at a murder, quite a gruesome ah. murder. So yeah, looking forward to that. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. And as always, please like uh, and tell us tell a few friends um, and just yeah, just just. Spread the, Spread word. the word. We're enjoying telling yeah. uh, these stories and the more people hear it, the better. And we'll see yeah. you next week. Thanks for listening. See you next week.